Welcome to our podcast. We hope that this content is a blessing for your life. Enjoy the message. And good morning to all of you joining us online. And before I begin, I'm going to tell you a little story of how this sermon came about. So in January, I brought the reflection for the women's ministry, and that reflection was based on the book of Judges. And following that reflection, Pastor Miranda asked me to bring that reflection to you in the form of a sermon. And so I was very much prepared to bring that sermon to you today, except that last Saturday, a week ago, thereabouts, I was actually reading or listening to my own Bible in a year, and I came upon a passage in Scripture, and I heard the Lord Jesus, it was from the New Testament, Jesus speaking, And I was so impressed by a specific phrase that he said. And it was as if the Holy Spirit was changing my message on the spot. And he said, this is what I want you to preach about on Sunday. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, I don't have this message. But as I thought more about it, I thought, well... The Holy Spirit wants me to talk about Jesus. And so it's very um, significant that today is Palm Sunday. So I thought maybe the Lord wants us to hear about his son on Palm Sunday. And then the second thing that I remembered was that this is a message that I preached about three or four years ago. And I preached it in Albania of all places. I preached it in Spanish, and I preached it to a group of missionaries from Latin America who were, mission, who were in Albania to do missions. And so I had to scramble. I thought, where are my notes? Because I know I had kept the notes. So I was like, Lord, I have to find those notes. And I have about five you know, handwritten pages because I wrote it by hand when I preached it at that time. But I know that the Lord has something, and there's a reason why he changed the message. So I don't know if it's for you sitting here or for you who's watching online, but I know that the Lord wants to say something, because when he does stuff like this, there is a reason. Amen? Amen. And so I have a message for you from the Lord today, okay? Part of the reason why I wanted to share this story with you, and you're wondering, like, why is she sharing this with us, is that sometimes, you know, we have plans that we make, but we shouldn't be too tied to those plans, because sometimes the Lord will just flip the switch and ask us to do something else. And we need to be prepared, and we need to have our hearts open and our minds open and be willing to allow the Lord to change our plans This is the journey. This is the excitement about living a life for God is that he is the one who directs, right? And we follow. Amen? So let's get to it, 
Let's see what the Lord has to say. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So you're wondering, all this preamble, what is she going to talk about? Well, it's from John 4, starting in John 4. And we're going to look at a lengthy passage, rather lengthy, but I believe it bears analysis for what the Lord wants to say here today. Okay? I prepared two potential titles for this message. I generally don't title my messages, but I, for some reason, one of the phrases that Jesus said, I thought, that's a great title for the message. So I'm going to give you that one. And then I'll give you another one that I thought of as I was preparing the message. So whichever title applies to your situation, take it. But I'm going to share both with you. So the first one is called Looking for True Worshippers. That's the first title. And it's taken precisely from Scripture. It's one of the things that Jesus says in, that mess, in, that, um, in John 4. The other title... That I, that I thought about as I was preparing the message, is worship an act of desperation. Okay? So let's go to the word, Scripture, John 4, verses 4, starting in 4. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, so that's the reason why he was by himself. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. He told her, Call, and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, 
Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Then leaving her jar, this is down on verse 20, uh, 28. Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out to the town and made their way toward him. And then in verse 39, we jump down there. It says, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman in verse 42, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Amen. So the Apostle John is setting up a tableau for us. He wants us to know exactly where this event took place, right? He gives us specific details. There's a level of specificity here, and yet the woman doesn't have a name. She's only a Samaritan woman. A few reasons why this could be. Is it perhaps because we are to see ourselves in her? almost as though we could step into her shoes? Or is it because like you and me, we can recount the clear, exact moment when Jesus burst into the scene of our life? How many of you can recall that moment? Down to the day, sometimes very clear details. I remember mine, I was 13. We all remember the moment that God interrupted us in order to make us look inward and acknowledge our desperate need for his salvation. But there's also something incredibly ordinary about this moment. The Samaritan woman probably came to the well every day to draw water. And what I love about this is that Jesus can be right in the center of our ordinary moments. I would say that he wants to be in our routine moments not just relegated to lofty, specific moments that we set aside. But I don't want to get it too way ahead of myself. Okay. For the Samaritan woman, this day would be different. This day, she planned to get actual water from the well. And we know from reading the passage that she doesn't, in the end, even bother to get water. God effectively changes her plans, her outlook, her life, her purpose right? We read, she left the bucket, she went to tell her community. And so in verse 7, the words that Jesus first says to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus is the one expressing a need to her and asking her 
for something for himself. Now, her response is to immediately put up a barrier between herself and Jesus. She says, you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? She is in essence telling him, you belong to a people that does not get along with my people. We are sworn enemies and we shouldn't associate with one another. Her words intimate that he is breaking with convention by even talking to her. The Samaritan woman is schooling Jesus right now. Do you see that? And isn't that what we do when Jesus asks us to do something? The Samaritan woman at this point doesn't know Jesus. All she knows is that he is a Jewish man and everything that implies. When we don't know him, we really don't know, right? We don't know him. We don't know who he is. And so we need to tell him the whys and why not of our disobedience. When we don't know Jesus, it's easy for us to keep him at arm's length. Simply coming to church doesn't mean that we know Jesus. When all we choose to see of Jesus is the surface level view of him, we will never have intimacy with him. We will never experience the joy, the transformation, or the power that he promises in our life. And that's what she saw of him initially. Does Jesus give up in the face of this obstacle that she puts up? Of course not. Instead, he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. His response acknowledges her ignorance of his true nature. And although he is asking for actual water to slake his thirst, what he has to offer her is 10, 100, not eternal times better than what she's coming to get. What Jesus has for her and for us is a substance that is not of this world and that satisfies in this life and through eternity. But the Samaritan woman doesn't get what Jesus has just told her. And we know this because she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? When we don't know Jesus, we are incapable of understanding what he offers us in light of our spiritual need for him. What Jesus is offering her something that will satisfy her spiritual condition. What's the nature of your thirst this morning? Are you watching online? What are you thirsty for? What do you need? Do you want Jesus to just satisfy a physical need? Or have you come today seeking something more, something deeper, something bigger? The Samaritan woman's response is not dissimilar to our response in which we limit Jesus, either because we've relegated him to only meeting our earthly needs or because we haven't experienced what he's capable of doing. These boil down to the same thing 
that until we get to know Jesus for ourselves, we are never going to know what he's capable of accomplishing in our life. But do you see he's trying, God is, Jesus is trying to establish relationship with the Samaritan woman. Jesus is bringing her through a process that she doesn't yet understand, which we also don't often understand. Jesus tries again to explain the nature of his living water. What does she say? Give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming to this well to get it. And though we know that she doesn't have a full grasp, neither of who he is and what he offers, she does ask for the water. You don't have to have a complete understanding of Jesus to ask for and receive what he has to offer. But he wants us to ask, right? Getting to know Jesus is a process, and one that he wants us to enter into with him. He initiated it. Do you think you found Jesus? No. He found you. Just like he found the Samaritan woman at the well. So she finally asks him for the living water that he has been offering her. And does he give it to her right away? He says, okay, go get your husband a seemingly innocent statement that gets at the heart of her condition and reveals what needs to change before Jesus can give her his living water. Jesus confronts the Samaritan woman with her sin. And although it is a gentle confrontation, I believe it is a gentle confrontation, it is a confrontation nonetheless. Just as with the Samaritan woman, when Jesus wants a relationship with us, he confronts us with the stuff that we need to give up as we enter into closer relationship with him. Paradoxically, admitting a wrongdoing doesn't push us away from him. It brings us closer to him. This is because in acknowledging our sin-prone self, We recognize our need for his grace, his forgiveness, his spirit, and his sanctifying work in our life. Here's the thing. There's stuff in your life. There's stuff in my life. And if we want to go beyond surface-level relationship with Jesus and experience authentic intimacy with him, a lot of that stuff has to go. In revealing secret knowledge about her life, the Samaritan woman starts to understand that she is talking to no ordinary man. You're a prophet, now she says. He's no longer just a Jewish man. Now he's a prophet. From her point of view, Jesus went from being just a Jewish man, right, to being a prophet. But he's always been the same, right? Her view of him is what's changing. Her view is what needs to develop. And it is at this point that the Samaritan woman makes the conversation about spiritual matters. Jesus has been talking from the very beginning about spiritual matters, the living water. But now she's ready to talk about it. My brothers and sisters, until our eyes are opened and we recognize our need to God, to work in us, things will never change in our life. 
However, even as her focus is completely misplaced, she, you know, she's ready to talk about spiritual matters, but she focuses on where the Samaritans and the Jews worship, right? So essentially, the nature of the disagreement between Jews and Samaritans was where they worshipped. One worshipped Mount Horeb, another worshipped in the Mount of Jerusalem. But worship is about something else. And Jesus has to free her mind and our mind on how we think about worship. In verse 23 and 24, Jesus said, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Jesus didn't say that worship was a church, which is what some people think. Right? There are people who come and worship around this time of the year. Lent, Easter, the churches fill up with people. They've made it about time and place. And once they've done that, they've fulfilled their obligation to God. And that's exactly what the Jews and the Samaritans did. Go to a mountain, worship God. They were done until the next time. Our obligation to God, done. True worship is more than that. And that is what Jesus wants us and the Samaritan woman to understand. At the beginning of the conversation, when Jesus was speaking about living waters, He was speaking about the Holy Spirit. Later on, in in John 7, 39, it says that when Jesus talked about living, living waters, he was talking about the Holy Spirit who would be given to everyone who believes in him. The Spirit had not been yet uh, poured out because Jesus had not risen to heaven or come into his glory, as the verse says. So if worshiping God is not about place... Where does worship happen when we worship in the spirit and in truth? So I'm going to give you five places where worship happens. Worship happens in the heart. Worship happens in the heart when our love for God is the primary driver of our life. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Worship happens in the mind. It's about scriptural knowledge. It's about deciding to follow Jesus no matter what. It happens when our thoughts are aligned to scriptural truths about who God is and who we are in Christ. When our thoughts are not aligned with scripture, and with God's truth about himself, it's easy for the enemy to lie to us. He tried to lie to Jesus, right? Matthew 4, 8 to 10, the devil tempts him, brings him to a high mountain. And what does Jesus say? The devil said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship. Here's that word again. Worship me. That's what Satan said to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
In 1 Corinthians 14, 14, it says this. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Where else does worship happen? Worship happens in the mouth. Therefore, in Hebrews 13, 15, it says, offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Amen. Where else does it happen? It happens in our bodies. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It happens in our actions. Our actions, as far as I'm concerned, is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. It is how we translate what we believe, what we hold dear, what we speak into things that others can see, a testimony. Remember at the end of the passage that I just read? Her community, that's what they saw, her testimony. She had had a testimony before of the type of woman that she was, and then her encounter with Jesus changed who she was, and her testimony compelled them to go see who Jesus was for themselves. Actions matter in the kingdom of God. So worship isn't just one thing about a place. It's a whole life thing. We connect to God through the Holy Spirit, but the language of connection is worship. Let me say that again. We connect to God through the Holy Spirit, but the language of connection is worship. So I'm going to put it another way to you. How many of you have a little device like this? I bet all of you do. So what happens when there's a problem with the network, your network, whoever that, that may be? You don't get emails, you don't get text messages, nothing, right? People become desperate. We start calling, making sure, try to get our service back, right? And that's the word that came to mind, desperate, desperation. When we lose connection to the network for ourselves, right? Now, let me flip that. Do you display that same level of desperation to connect to God? God and Jesus our source of power, our source of fulfillment, joy, our living water, our bread, our life satisfaction. Are we desperate to feel the spirit flowing through us? Desperate to share in the power, his purpose, his glory. Are we desperate for intimacy with him? Or, if I may continue the analogy, are we content to operate on Wi-Fi? Phones function on Wi-Fi when they're in proximity to it and whether it's open to you. Otherwise, your, your phone is just a pretty 
rectangular thing. It's useless. And there are people who become content with connecting temporarily. This world is how they connect, how they get the, their fulfillment. Temporary Wi-Fi's. A lot of people on temporary Wi-Fi instead of connecting to the network, to our Jesus, to the source of power, the source of joy, the source of fulfillment. These are the same people who one day you see them, they're on top of the world. And the next, in the depths of despair because of something that went wrong in their life. Some people aren't ready to connect and worship. Worshiping in the spirit and in truth means that everything I say, everything I think, everything I feel, everything I do connects to God. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name, says the psalm. Now let's return to the Samaritan woman. In her reaction to hearing from Jesus about the kind of worshipers that God is looking for. First of all, she recognizes scripture. So she knew scripture. She knew that the Messiah would reveal everything to her. So when Jesus tells her that he is the Messiah, she immediately believes him. Why does that happen? It's because at this point, they have a relationship, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Their conversation has been a process of deepening knowledge of this woman getting to know who Jesus really is, the Messiah. Now Jesus isn't just a Jewish man that I don't have to have anything to do with. He is her savior who promises living water, eternal life. The actions that she takes next shows that she has been forever changed by this encounter with the Messiah. She leaves the bucket, forgets about the water that she was supposed to pull, and she goes and tells her community. She wants to share what she has. I love this last verse in scripture from the people in her town. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Yeah. Knowing Jesus and experiencing him isn't about hearing from someone else what he's done for them. To know him intimately, you have to make the decision to get to know him. He already knows you just like he knew the Samaritan woman. Where are you in your knowledge of him? Is he a nice man you've heard about who helped a lot of people, who cared for the poor and performed miracles, but whose life has no bearing on your own right now? Or is he a prophet? Sometime, someone who spoke truth inspired by God, but a prophet for that time and that place? Or is he your savior? your Messiah, that perfect Lamb of God that takes away your sin and my sin and who sacrificed himself on the cross, the Messiah who on the third day rose from the grave to give us eternal life. Where are you on that spectrum of your relationship with him? Is he just a nice man or is he your God? 
the one who can make living waters flow through you and me. And if he is our Messiah, what is stopping us from being true worshipers? Why don't we show desperation for him, connection to him? And as I meditated on the following verses, the following verses sprung to mind. These are the words of a man who was desperate to connect to God. After God calls him out for a sin he committed. I want you to listen to these words. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David was desperate for God. He loved God utterly and was broken when he thought he'd lost God because of his sin. Scripture tells us that God loved David. That's because David desperately loved God. David's life shows that he was a true worshiper. That is connection to God. That is love for God. That is desperation for God. Are you ready to become a true worshiper of Jesus today? Are you ready to say, I don't just want a surface level knowledge or secondhand knowledge of Jesus. I want intimacy with him. I want connection with him. I want to worship him in the spirit and in truth. Are you ready to give your whole life over to him? Not just when you're in this place. Today is Palm Sunday, and we'll be entering Holy Week. Today is the perfect time to begin a new chapter in your relationship to the Messiah. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more resources like this in our website, leondejuda.org, and in our social networks by searching for Congregación León de Judah. We look forward to being with you again. God bless you.